This message comes from NPR sponsor, The Pitchfork Review. It's the podcast for the music obsessed, the music curious, and everyone in between. Listen to The Pitchfork Review and hear music differently. Find new episodes every Friday at midnight. When the world seems out of hand, you can count on the StoryCorps podcast for your dose of humanity. Unscripted conversations between real people about the things that matter most. This season, 12 all-new episodes about reunions and what it means to connect at this moment in our nation's history. Episodes are available every Tuesday. I'm Bob Boylan with All Songs Considered. Fifty years ago, just before the holidays in 1968, and I remember this well, the Beatles put out not just a new album, but a double album. The album art was simply a stark, white, glossy cover with raised, slanted lettering that simply said, The Beatles. That self-titled album, with its 30 songs spanning genres from American country music to avant-garde tape collage, has come to be known simply as the White Album. And in celebration of its birth 50 years ago, the Beatles label Apple Records has scoured the archives and has, for the first time, released early demo tapes, studio outtakes, and stunning remixes, both stereo and surround sound, of the entire album. Today, a conversation with the man who produced this 100-plus song celebration, Giles Martin. Giles's father, George Martin, produced the White Album, along with most everything else the Beatles ever did. You'll also hear some of the demo tapes, the outtakes, and some of the new remixes here. But first, Giles Martin describes the making of the White Album. It turned out to be a much less planned and more organic process than ever, and that frustrated George Martin. The way he worked, the way he worked with the band, he was almost like an architect. So he had this ability to be able to have a blueprint to an album and build the album. That's the with Sgt. Pepper. Now, the White Album, the Beatles went, we don't need an architect. We're going to build this from the ground up. That's the way I think the White Album was built. The White Album was built brick by brick hmm. with no idea about what it was going to be like in the end. And for my father, who liked efficiency and liked organization, I mean, you know, I, my, my biggest fault with my dad was once when I mixed a drink and I didn't measure it and he always disowned me as a son. And <laughs> that, was, that was essentially what the Beatles were doing with the White Album. And so he was kind of ostracized to a certain degree. And people think that the White Album was the four Beatles working as individuals, but it wasn't. It was the, it was the band taking over and that's what we're going to hear. So they went to Rishikesh in India and they wrote songs. And don't forget, they were no longer touring. So even before Sgt. Pepper, they were touring, and they toured for four years constantly. But they wrote demo songs. And the weird, the weird thing about the White Album is it being band-driven, is they recorded demos for pretty much everything. And we discovered these demos, the Isha demos. That they'd had been bootlegged, but nothing. Always bad quality. So Olivia Harrison, who's George Harrison's widow, had the original tapes. And uh, they are the template that became the White Album. Pick us one and paint well, a picture for us. Well, Isha is, is the estate or? Well, Isha's an area that Isha's where, where his house was. Okay. Um, George Harrison's George house. Harrison's house. But I think they're called the Isha demos. I got a feeling, a feeling dim inside. <laughs> I have a feeling that, uh, that, that they weren't all recorded at George's, houses, uh, George's house. I think that they were compiled there. But I got a feeling just because the room sound is different that Paul... John and George all had four-track tape machines, and I think they made their own demos, but I think the other Beatles were present. So I'll play you a bit of Back in the USSR. Okay. And what you hear is you hear Paul twice. They all, all Isha demos are them double-tracking themselves, which means they're singing 
the, the same thing twice. They're not in perfect sync. But you can hear other Beatles in the background. You hear tambourines and percussion. So it's not like they had their own machine in their own home and they did their thing and then they brought it to the band. There are other members of the band here. They're, they're, um, here we are. Just have a listen. You can hear other people in the background. Email. Flew in from Miami Beach, Bay OAC. Didn't get to bed last night. On the way, the paperback was on my knee. Man, I had an awful flight. I'm back in the USSR. You don't know how lucky you are, boy. Back in the USSR. Been away so long, I hardly knew the place. Gee, it's good to be back home. Leave it till tomorrow to unpack my case. Honey, disconnect the phone. I'm back in the USSR. You don't know how lucky you are, boy. Back in the US, back in the US, back in the USSR. Well, the Ukraine girls really knocked me out. They leave the West behind. My soul girl make me sing and shout. That Georgia's always on my, 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 pretty playful. Do we know who's doing what, or, or, or is there no documentation about what's going on? They, we know, obviously, you know it's Paul. Paul probably on the There's no documentation guitar. at all. Yeah. I mean, they weren't. These aren't meant to be. These were their demos. And, and if you think about the way the Beatles used to work, is you know mainly John and Paul, and later more George would come to the studios and play the song. And for this, you know, technology moved on, and they started recording, making their own demos. And which is, is how so much music now gets made. And this is. 50 years ago, well, the beginning of home recording. Well, if you way, think yeah. of the White Album, for now, it became a template for a lot of the way records are made. I mean... How so? Well, I think, you know, for my father, for instance, it wasn't his favorite album because the Beatles demanded different hours. I mean, it's almost like the way they started sessions moved on two hours every year. So by the time we got to the White Album, they were starting at 11 p.m. and finished at 6 in the morning. Now, in the 70s, 70s and 80s, that's what bands did. Yeah. You know, we had Will I Am at Abbey Road recently, and he started at ten thirty. You know, at PM. So that's the way things happen now. But in those days, in nineteen sixty-eight, it was unheard of with a wife and a small kid. It was like these aren't these sort of hours we work at Abbey Road. What's going on here? And it, so it was a, it was a different environment, and they spent more more hours in the studio. So the whole project became a template for the way bands work now. What do you think it means when instead of four people being in a room and working out tunes? What do you think it meant to the sound of the White Album? that they could demo in a more personal, more relaxed environment and, and in terms of songwriting. It feels like to me, and, and maybe I'm making more out of this than not, but it feels like to me that they were able to shape their own songs a little more and they felt a little more individual on the White Album than they did in albums past. Well, I think if we think about it, you know, you, we listen to the Isha demos, and that's Paul very much singing back in the USSR. And I think it's I think it's either George or John the background clapping and and singing. But they don't they, they, whether it's George, they don't know the song completely. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they'd be singing. You know, they're a natural harmony. You know, they would sing high natural right. harmonies, lots of. It's not as though so it's a it's a Paul driven song in the same way that you know we could listen to Sexy Sage from Isha. It's a, it's a John driven song. And so what it is, is there was still collaboration because this is a John song, but we're all going to play on it. 
opposed to it being a Beatles song. But that didn't mean there was necessarily fractiousness. So people think the White Album was a, the boys in different rooms of the studios going for making their own records. It wasn't. It and was, the contentiousness that often is talked about as the beginning for the White Album, as I hear these demos, it doesn't feel that way at all. No, I think both John and George wrote things or said things about the White Album. They said a lot of things in the 70s about things anyway. I was playing back I Will yesterday to some people and someone said, but I read that it was just Paul on his own. Who are the other people in the background having a laugh? I was like, well, that's, you know, that happens to be John and Ringo. But I, hope I, read, that it was, I read it was Paul on his own. You're going, well, it's not, you know, they, you know, <laughs> f- you know, forget what you read, listen yeah. to the tapes. And that, I suppose that's been the most surprising thing for me on this project is finding out that actually, you know, my dad always sort of grimaced when anyone said the White Album was their favorite album because it wasn't a great experience for him. But I talked to Paul and Ringo and they go, this was the band's record. You know, ah. this is what it was. And I think you're exactly right. The sounds on it are created in a visceral way by the band opposed to by production, if you like. You yes. know, the, the, you know Loosen the Sky with Diamonds is, is created by the sound of that organ and the tambora and that sort of world and the delay on John's voice where really the white album, you don't get that. You get a much more, the sound is created by, by noise in a studio's. Let's give a listen to Sexy Satan. Let's hear John. And uh, do we know anything else going on? Well, the interesting thing about Sexy Satan, I wish I found it. Sexy Satan was originally about the Maharishi. Right, it was Maharishi. You, what it, have you done? You yeah, exactly. You, you, you know, and I really hoped that there would be a version with John singing that. Ah, and didn't find and that. Didn't, yeah, didn't oh, find it. So, uh, so uh, you just have to imagine it. But okay. <laughs> Sexy Satan, what have you done? Made a fool of everyone. You made a fool of everyone. Sexy Sadie, oh, have you done? Sexy Sadie, you broke the rules, laid it down for all to see. I'm not sure if it's construction noise or... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, I mean, someone's, hit, someone's hitting the table, someone's, yeah, right. someone's got a tambourine, someone's totally. got a shaker, yeah. and, you know, you, well, I, we don't know who it is, yeah. um, but... But we assume it's an other Beatles. It's not... not it's, I would, it would be... It's not houseguests. Yeah, it's not houseguests. <laughs> and it, you, you get the sense with the Isha demos, which is almost around the campfire. Yeah. Each, each one of them singing a song to the other. It's like, you know, this is what I've got, and what have you got, this is what I've got. And there was always, with the music, and especially with the music, there was always this unbelievable um, support mechanism within the Beatles. You know, all of the stuff that was said later, said was said later, all of the stuff really in the studios is is quite strong. That You know, even, you know, a blockage like Obli Di Blada, 
When you say a blockage, what do you mean? Well, they spent a long time recording it, and, and certain members of the band didn't like it. And that blockage was unblocked by John. You know, there's a great piano in, in Abbey Road called Mrs. Mills. It's kind of, it's kind of the sound of the Beatles. It's a very bright tag mm-hmm. piano. And Paul told me that he was, you know, as usual, you know, in the studios early and and with George and Ringo, and they were doing a bloody bazaar, and and it was acoustic guitar, bass, and drums. And John walks in and he goes, "What are we doing, lads?" And they went, "A bloody bazaar." He was like, "Oh God!" And he went to the, he went to the, he went to the piano. Yeah. I went, oh, here we are, here we are. And, and to take the mickey out of it, went, ding, 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 ding. Paul went, oh, that's it, that's it. And, you know, that's the, so that's what I mean, is there was always this thing. And, you know, Ringo, you know, famously walked out of the White Album sessions. But I think, you know, he walked out because Paul was on the drum kit all the time. You know, he played drums on Dear Because Paul liked so to tell him how to yeah. play a part, maybe. Is and that, that's, it's always the thing. It's like, and when Ringo left, I think they realized that they were no longer the Beatles. The, the four corners of the square had been destroyed and they needed that and so they filled the studios with flowers when he came back and you know Ringo talks about the White Album with a huge amount of affection you know he talks about when they did Yeah Blues and they, they went into a they went to the anteroom of Studio 2 control room and all locked went themselves the in the room I'm sorry. well the machine room so you met, there's a small room at the back of the control room they didn't go to the live area they locked themselves in a cupboard basically did Yeah Blues so they're um, tighter together so they're tighter together yeah I mean now that's not a band breaking up yeah. to me when they took these demos, did they present them to George Martin? Did they present them to your dad? How did that work? Because, it, A, there's a ton of songs. They wrote an amazing amount of tunes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'll play another Arisha demo quickly, which is um, Child of Nature. And I don't think they did. I think that presentation world had gone for them in a way. Huh. I think they cared deeply about what my dad thought. He was still part of the organization. You can hear outtakes where he's involved. But in essence, they wanted to record everything. So... And, th- and they had so many songs. I mean, it, you know, the White Album is 30 songs. Alongside that, during that time, they recorded Across the Universe, they recorded Lady Madonna, they recorded Hey Bulldog, they recorded Hey Jude. Uh, there was a bunch of George songs that weren't on the album, like Not Guilty and Circles. About during, and you can listen to it on the, on the outtakes that we've released, is that during Wilma Guitar Journey Weeps with Eric Clapton on guitar, halfway through that session, Paul starts playing Let It Be. You know, so, I mean, I didn't even know he'd, wrote, he'd written Let It Be. You know, that's a, so it was, like, it was like they had two, they couldn't, no one could keep up in the studios with the number of songs they had, but they wanted to record everything. That's what changed. They're how old to remind people? Well, they're, tw- I mean, 27, 28. Amazing, you know, right? that, you know, that's that mind-boggling? Yeah, it's, it's the thing. I mean, that's the, that's the motivation behind remixing for me is that we live in a world, you know, I love the world of albums. I love the people who put albums, but there is a playlist world out there. And when someone puts on an Ed Sheeran track on a playlist next to Blackbird, kind of Paul and Ed are the same age if you think about it so yeah. music is timeless so why can't they be next to each other and 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 just as relevant is my view mm-hmm. but I mean here's, here's an example this is the Isha demo of a child of a child of nature now listeners will recognize this tune and this didn't end up on the white album because John wasn't happy with the lyrics and decided to change them and he changed them to Jealous Guy mm-hmm. On the road to Rishikesh I was dreaming more or less And the dream I had was true Yes, the dream I had was true I'm just a child of nature I don't need much Set me free I'm just a child of nature 
But I uh, hear jealous guy uh, there. I wonder if they, if the fact that there was Mother Nature's son and just a child of nature was a little too much. Who knows, right? I, I yeah, I wonder. I, w- I wouldn't have thought that would that would be anything to stop John. I would have thought it's probably he. He probably, re- you know, they were they had great awareness the Beatles. Yeah. And I would have thought he knew that he could write a better lyric. And jealous guys are better lyric. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Even though they had started writing separately, John and Paul, there was very much, you know. Know, Paul had Hey Jude and played it to John and that would be I suppose that would that's what the dynamic dynamic change in that way where because they're sort of running separately they play it to each other first before they made they played it to my dad perhaps and played Hey Jude and, and you know the you hand upon my shoulder and he goes but well, I don't worry John I will change that lyric expecting the criticism from John and John said that's the best lyric in the song <laughs> you know that's friendship exactly let's hear this band in the studio, is this Abbey Road uh, where they're going to be? Because they did most of it in Abbey Road. They did most of it at Abbey Road, yeah. They went to Trident, another, another studio, studio, which had an 8-track. You know, So this is right on the cusp of technology. We're going from 4-track to 8-track. Um, Dear Prudence, for instance, is an 8-track um, done in Trident. Hey Jude is done in Trident, in huh. fact. But this is Abbey Road. I'll play a bit of Cry Baby Cry. It's just interesting. This is shows you, in fact, the Isha demo Cry Baby Cry is much closer to the, the version we know on the, on the record. This is how the White Album was made. They went on a journey through sound, and this, in a funny way, reminds me a little bit of um, a little bit of Pink Floyd, in a funny way. Huh. I'll start again. Samalina, Samalina, pilchard greens, not pie, all mixed together with a dead dog's eye. One, two, three, four. <laughs> children of the king cry baby cry make your mother sigh she's old enough to know better so cry baby cry the king was in the garden picking flowers for a friend Pictures for the children's holiday. Cry, baby, cry. Make your mother sigh. She's old enough to know better. So cry, baby, cry. The Duchess of Kikori always smiling and arriving late for tea. Remind us, who do you think is doing what here? Who's on the keys? You think it's just Paul? I was just thinking that. It's who's playing bass, the question. It's, I think it's Paul playing bass. I okay. think that um, 
I think it must be, I think it must be George playing the guitar. It sounds like yeah. George, and therefore I think it's probably Paul playing organ. It's probably it could be John playing bass and singing at the same time. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's, and this is the way. This is the difference of the White Album is that you can hear the fact they have that freedom. You have to remember that they lost their manager Brian Epstein the year before. And my dad could have sort of, to a certain extent, felt he lost the classroom. They had a freedom. They were the Beatles. I and mean, the, the thing about the Beatles is you've got to be aware, you know. You know, my dad always used to say that the funny thing, he goes, the, the, the funniest thing about the boys is that they, uh, they, they didn't really change much. They were the same arrogant bastards I first met them <laughs> to, to begin with. You know, that's what, you know, that's what, that's what he was used to say about, about the Beatles. And, and it's true, they, they had this foundation of confidence. You know, they wanted to be the biggest pop band in the world, and they became that. And then they wanted to be the, the most respected band in the world, and they became that. They had this, this force of nature. And it, with the White Album, they just they realized that they could experiment. They could afford to experiment in the studios, which didn't happen in bands in those days. It didn't really... There Nobody was, could afford it. No one could afford it. There, there weren't a, that many studios. Exactly, and they and they had the power. They were the Beatles. They had the power to take things over. And they wore the heck out of engineers, I bet. I mean, the, the hours that they kept. And yeah, the, and so that was an interesting. You know, Jeff Emmerich walked off the sessions, who was the engineer. That, you at know, what point from, did he, is that early on? Or? Yeah, reasonably early on. Reasonably early on, he'd had enough, you know. Because the hours were crazy? Well, they were just sitting, they were sitting there at three in the morning, and the band would be jamming, yeah. and there was not much interjection going on. There was not the conciseness. I mean, when you think about go back to Paperback Writer, which is 66, with one and a half takes. Wow. You know, sexy Sadie, 107 takes. <laughs> you know, so there's a, there's the difference for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And the the narrowing down, there wasn't, it's not really a parts record, the White Album. And what I mean by that is if you look at the Beatles, the guitar parts, I mean, take, take Abbey Road later okay. on, it really is. It's a, the guitar parts, you know, whether it's come together or you never give me your money, everything is, is in place. What's well, um, more, like, Orchestrated, I guess, is correct, the word. Correct, correct. Right. And earlier on as well, Fine. you know, drive my car, ticket to ride these riff, you know, Eiffel Fine, they're very much a part, you know, very efficient songs yeah. where you take that version of Cry Baby Cry, it's like, let's just play. Let's just play. And I think that's from not playing live. It's, it's not from not playing. Oh, this is, the, this is right. the time when they played live. This is the only time they got together. Mm-hmm. You have to think about that. But before, previously, they were together all the time playing live. And so this was them discovering the, their instruments, if you like. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Giles Martin about the making of the Beatles' White Album, and you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Lagunitas Brewing Company. Founder Tony McGee says that learning to brew craft beer took inspired amateurism. It's like punk music. They just pick things up. And they said, if I can make this thing make noise, I can do it in rhythm and people will dance and we will fill up rooms with people angry as we are. And so it was with craft brewing. To discover how music plays a part in more than just great beer at Lagunitas, visit lagunitas.com music. Support also comes from ELS Studio 3D Premium Audio, available in the all-new 2019 Acura RDX. Surrounded by 16 speakers and 710 watts, ELS Studio 3D lets you take studio-quality sound on the road. Developed with eight-time Grammy Award-winning recording engineer Elliot Shiner, it's a whole new dimension in sound that lets you hear the music the way it was originally intended to be heard. Precision-crafted audio performance, exclusively from Acura. I'm Bob Boylan. I'm here with Giles Martin. We're talking about the 50th anniversary of the White Album, some of the new mixes, the demo tapes, the outtakes. 
I wish we had more time together. I mean, there are 50 outtakes, you know, out of, I mean, we went through every single tape. Let's quickly uh, just stop and just describe okay. what is in this package. So in essence, I mean, listen, I, li- I have an incredibly privileged life where, where I have the keys to the door that opens up the Beatles universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of the fact that it certainly helps being the son of George Martin. And I'm incredibly humbled to have, you know, Ringo and Paul and also Olivia and Yoko's trust that I'm able to do this stuff. And what I try and do is open up that door and get the world to be able to listen in the same way with the same excitement. And the Beatles universe is so rich. It's not a question of just, you know, reproducing an ashtray and selling it. There's depth to what we do. And with this, there are 27 Isha demos, which mm. are, they, we, we'd heard a few there, you know, they're just acoustic mapping of the White Album. There are 50 outtakes. I mean, there could have been more. I said to, um, the problem is some of them long. I mean, there's a version of Helder Skelter, which is 13 minutes long. There's a version of Revolution Number no. 1. I mean, I said to the Beatles and the Reckoners, said, how many CDs are we going to make? And they went, how many, how many songs do you want to put on? I mean, it's like, you know, you have to stop somewhere. You yes. do have to. You know, there are certain people in the world that wanna, would want to hear 107 takes with Sexy Sadie. You know, that exists. So there is this very rich vein, and it's hard. I mean, there are a few verses of One With Tower Gently Weeps, and that was an interesting time because John and Paul definitely were in cahoots, as they were a lot of the time in the White Album. And I think Ringo and George sometimes felt ostracized in this. You know, They would go and make records on their own occasionally. George had really developed as a songwriter. You know, he had songs. I mean, he had All Things Must Pass while well, during the Let It Be sessions, you know. If you think about what's happening next songs. year in Beatles World, you know, there's Here Comes the Sun Something on, the, on Abbey Road, and Here Comes the Sun is one of the most popular Beatles songs of all time. One Way Tarja Weeps is, is up there with the best Beatles songs. Yeah. And I think Eric Clapton was his best friend. And I think he asked Eric to come to the sessions because it was like, listen, guys, Eric Clapton's my best friend. He's the best guitarist in the world. If he thinks I'm good, surely you guys. You know, <laughs> I think there's an element of that with this. And what people don't realize is that Eric didn't come in and do an overdub. Eric came and recorded one, and they was there for the whole session. So we'll play, and it'll give you some sense. And so what you have on this, on this version is um, there's no John. I think John was there, but he wasn't playing. Okay. Um, he played the bass on One Book Tar Johnny Weeps. For the final take. For the final take, yeah. There's a sort of chugging, there's a ding, 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 which and is which Paul is a six-string bit. Paul is playing piano and organ and singing. And then you have Ringo playing drums and, and George playing acoustic guitar and Eric on, on lead guitar. And, so, and just quick picture painting here, because often people think in studio recordings, everybody's doing a part, and then they'll do an overdub, and then they'll do and build on it. But the White Album sessions were much more the band playing together. Abs- so when you say that, they're in the room and they're playing. They're, you'll hear them in the room. They're all in the room together. Paul's on piano, Eric's playing electric guitar, George's playing acoustic guitar, and Ringo's on drums. And here you are. This is the session. Oh I'll just have cheese and lettuce and my my sandwich and coffee. Okay, a one, two, three, four.
Yeah. Hold it, Harry. So it's okay. I sang, uh, no, tried to do a smoky, and I just aren't smoky. <laughs> smoky Robinson, I assume was he's uh, alluding to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I think I think John's actually playing organ. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it just I mean it just shows the the feel of that. I mean that's take twenty seven. We're close and to the final. Close to the final, yeah, and. Uh, and George is obviously singing live and play acoustic guitar, which is what they did. I mean, that's the thing about the Beatles. They they did it. The overdubs, you know, a lot of it's live. And uh, and you get a sense of it doesn't sound like a band falling apart. Put it sure that way. Yeah. You know, it's that thing. There's that, And there's an incredible sort of contribution from Paul, really. You hear on the sessions, you know, there's there's another version of that we have. We wait, you know, he they, they play it and he goes and let it be. And then they play this version. And then obviously we mixed the we mixed the master version, but you get a sense of what it's it, what what's beautiful about it. You get the sense of what it's to, like to be there. You know, yeah. it, it feels like here you and I are sitting in a studio talking to each other, but through the glass could be the Beatles, and that's what I try and get. You know, that's what I try and get people to hear. A, a quick an aside, maybe these takes are these two track live mixes or. Are these mixed by you as well? These are mixed by me. Okay. But they're mixed by me. Actually, I, I, the approach is very different. Yeah. Myself and a wonderful engineer go and we remix Beatles stuff. With all of the outtakes, the way it works is I just sit. Sometimes, sometimes I, have a, I have a studio. I have a farm down in, in the Cotswolds, and mm-hmm. I have a studio down there in a room in a cottage, funnily enough. And I'll sit and I'll remix all of this, all of the outtakes and these things I, I, I mix on my own. I just sit there. But I try and do it in a way so they, they're really... Um, I try and mix them so you can just hear everything. So it's like listening to the tapes, opposed to putting any effects. I don't put any plate reverbs or anything on. I just you're not try polishing and keep them. You're I don't try and polish them. I just try and. It's um, as if you were in the room. Yeah, exactly. That's. Yeah. I'm just trying to get you to hear what's on the tape. They sound good because you know Ken Scott and Chris Thomas, who were both 21, and my dad brought them in on this project. Unbelievable. They they were they were working on it, and they were they were. Gee, I mean Ken Scott, just for your listeners, went on to go and make Transform by Lou Reed and Hunky Dory with David Bowie, and Chris Thomas ended up producing the Sex Pistols, the Pretenders, Elton John, In Excess, Pulp, you know, Roxy so, Music. Yeah, I mean a, a lot of a lot of great records. So then your attitude, we're going to play a couple of remixes and we did this last year with Sgt. Pepper. The big question everyone asks is why do this? In making the segue from these multiple takes to the final remixes, what are you going for? I think it'll be the the answer to this question will help answer the question why do this? It'll also be try to get in your head as to what you're aiming for. Pretty great album. What are you trying to do for the listener? Why do it is a really good question. I mean, I get asked by the Beatles, and I get asked by fans to begin with, but um, what's the motivation? The motivation is is I hate the idea. For people who've never heard the Beatles, they won't listen to them because they think they're an old band, and I have the strong belief that music doesn't become old. It's a time capsule. You know, the Beatles are 26, 27, 28 when they're recording this, and they'll always be that age. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world even more so now with streaming, where, you know... Music is timeless. You people have playlists and they put records on it. And I want to make sure that, you know, when Hosier comes on, and we listen to Yeah Blues, that it's this. It's it, they're the same kind of age. To be honest, mm-hmm. they'll always be that age. You know, when they recorded. I mean, you know, it's an interesting fact. And I think you can time travel in music, and that's the beauty of it. So, you know, we have the ability to be able to do things the Beatles couldn't have done and we think they may have done. It's a huge business. But I worked with my father for all my life. So when I was 15 in studios, mm-hmm. I've made an album with Paul McCartney. I've done a Martin Scorsese film on George Harrison. I've gone deep and I talked to Ringo. You know, So there is that presumption. I know Chris Thomas very well. I know Ken Scott very well. 
I mean, things like, you know, I'll play you Dear Prudence. Now, Dear Prudence to me is all about the guitar to begin with, the other arpeggiated guitar. Yeah. In the original, actually, it's it's not how you think it is. The music's never how you think it is. And so we ADT'd it, which is what the Beatles did. It's artificial double tracking. We create a stereo sound out of a mono. And it makes it sound a little bit more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when John's voice comes comes in, it's stronger over the guitar, and then the, the bass sounds deep and the drums sound deep. And you, in a way, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you closer to the band. So I'm also peeling off the layers of compression that was on there. I don't have to worry so much about the needle jumping out of the groove as they did in 1968. To help people understand that, everybody listen to music on albums. Yeah. If there was too much of bass or something, it would make your record player skip. That's and right. So there were compromises that had to be made to the reproduction not to the actual recording of the stuff because the recording was and despite what people think is that we the worst we listen to now is much better than the worst we listened to then that's right you know no one listens i mean if anyone listens i listen to on a pair of 1968 speakers then congratulations (laughs) but i but i don't think that's the case so there is that but the the most important thing for me is not to ruin the essence of what the song is it's not about hi-fi. You know, we fill it, our ears fill in the blanks anyway. You know, the, the, the good old dirt and rock and roll, we never clean anything, for instance. You need that. It's an emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. So we mixed the White Album first, and actually we, we tore it apart, and we went and redid it again because the first mix was too compressed. It was too much like the original. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the shortcut to the White Album is just to make everything really super loud and compressed and stick it in a box. The White Album's a kind of an angry, visceral record. I thought, what would be more fun if we didn't do that? Let's just open it out a bit more but then still have the aggression there how do we do that and so you know, if you listen to Long Long the mix the mix of the White Album that we do now you Ringo told me he said you know I remember being in the band in the, in the room with George and we played it I think okay let's get the listener to feel that it's hugely inspirational for me to work with awesome so let's listen to so this is Dear Prudence and you'll hear the openness you'll hear to most of your listeners it should just sound like Dear Prudence Someone will say to me, oh, the drums and bass sound so so much bigger. And then someone goes, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, the drums and bass are too loud. And then someone goes, John's voice sounds great. And I go, well, that's a good thing. Maybe it's too loud. And someone goes, what I can really hear is the backing vocals. And you go, okay, maybe I'm getting somewhere. So here we are.
yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite bass lines ever. And it's got such a beautiful placement in, in this mix. And that background vocals, they were always there, but... Well, yeah, what we can do now is we can have them in stereo so that, you know, in, in, at one stage, um, you know, if you listen, the, the, you know, the stereo, the background on one side and that, you know, round, round, round should be around you. Mm. You know, I think, and I, you know, in, I have to take terrible, terrible, you know, have huge presumption and that's what the Beatles would have wanted to yeah. do. But they've listened. I mean, Paul and Ringo have heard these. It's not absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah. they are my bosses. They've yeah. heard them, and and if they didn't like them, we wouldn't be listening to them now. It's as simple as that. And that's the biggest kick I get is actually playing them the mixes. And and you know, they are the Beatles. I mean, there's only four of them, yeah. and sadly, there's only two of them left. And you know, as Paul says, there there was only four of us. Only only we knew what happened. And Dear Prudence is an, is an, is, an, is, a, is an amazing track that you know that you can fall into. You know, that's what I love about this music is you can fall into it. Let's go out on one more thing. Well, this is interesting. I'll play you. I'll play you Paul's birthday. The interesting thing about birthday is it was written on the spot. It oh. was there's no demo for birthday because he had an idea. Let's do a birthday song and let's write it. And they created it in the studio. Was it anybody's birthday? Do we know? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's one of those. Actually, someone asked me a really good question the other day. He goes, "How come the Beatles never did a Christmas song?" <laughs> It's right, they didn't do it. They did Christmas oh, records. Christmas time. Is but he yeah, again? Yeah, they did but, that, yeah, the Christmas records. But, but, they, yeah. but that was it. they never did a Christmas yeah. song. I mean, they did. But the thing is, I mean, obviously, they wrote to a brief. I mean, All You Need Is Love was written to a brief, and Across the Universe was written to a brief. Um, it's funny how John got those, you know, where Paul was more commercial in lots of ways. But anyway, birthday wasn't written to a brief, but, 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 you know, Paul does it concerts now and says, you know, this is for anyone who has a birthday this year. It's fun. I mean, you know, you know, everyone says about you know Yoko being present during the White Album and how it destroyed the White Album, which isn't true. And the part about that being true that she didn't destroy the White Album. Yeah, I mean, she, she was there. she was she was there. Yeah. But I mean, this has this has a bunch of wives on it, which you can hear now. By the way, you mentioned uh, Revolution Number no. Nine in a presentation you gave yesterday in the five dot one version that is on this packaging that you said. Yeah, is pretty so th- so listen, I love doing surround mixing. I think people talk about high def, et cetera, et cetera. I think actually, in a way, immersive audio is is more thrilling for me. Mm-hmm. I think there's more of an upscale and change in that. And we did a surround mix of Revolution Number no. Nine, which um, is very scary. You know, to leave the lights on when you listen to it, it's worth listening to. And it kind it kind of makes sense of the song in a funny way, or the piece of music, because it's, you know, th- you know, there's the famous Carnival Light, which is an unreleased Beatles track, a lot like Revolution Number no. Nine, which was used for an exhibition at the Roundhouse. And I think. It's almost Revolution Number no. Nine should surround you, and the voices should get bigger and bigger and smaller, and it should be slightly, you know, otherworldly. It seems like that anyway. So once you expand into a three-dimensional universe, which you can do with surround, mm-hmm. it becomes something else, and it's really worth listening to. That's great. So we'll go out on birthday. Last year we did Sgt. Pepper, and this year we did the White Album, and I hope we make this an annual event. Well, I hope so. I mean, in all honesty, there's no plans. Right now I'm working yeah. on a film project, but, you know, I, it's, it's always great to spend time with you. Thank you so Thank much, you. Bob. Yeah, Thank you. Pleasure. Cheers. Giles Martin, the producer of this huge celebration of the Beatles' self-titled album, referred to as the White Album, this big celebration is out now. And if you want to go backwards in the archives, you can hear our conversation last year about the Sgt. Pepper remixes. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. <laughs>